0: Welcome to the Heart of the Father podcast. We're glad you're here and able to listen in. We're praying the Lord will speak to your heart through this message and that you be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. There was a time number of years ago where I was in a big wrestle with the Lord. I had been on staff at a church and it didn't end well there. I could throw down the church hurt card, but it's really pointless. A lot of the stuff was inside of me that the Lord was going after. But in that season, I was critical about the church. I could see all the flaws in the church and how it wasn't conforming to what the Lord had intended, so I thought, in my arrogance. And I had an encounter with the Lord. When I was in the prayer tower on what used to be Carpenter's Home Church, they had this really cool little tower there, and on the eighth floor of that tower, there was a room and it had a couch and a seat, and I just went up there and they let me go there graciously and pray. And I was up there reading and just praying and going through the book of Ephesians, and I read the passage that's so familiar to us. Some of you have heard me tell this story, but it's, it's relevant to what I want to share today. You've heard it at a lot of weddings. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. For no one ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. And when I read that, that day, I just talked out loud to the Lord. I took my Bible and I said, You cherish the church? She's a harlot. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me in one of those times where he just rocked me. And he said, yes, I cherish my church. And if you ever are going to speak for me to her, you need to cherish her too. I was like, it marked me. And I began... To ask the Lord to change my heart because I could see that it was rooted in pride that I thought that I knew the way that it should be and I knew everything that was wrong and I could point every time when we get critical like that it's rooted in our own pride because we think we're the authority somehow and we just got it all together and we know and we usually don't have a stinking bit of experience but we're going to tell everybody else how they should do it we've never done anything ourselves and that was my case but I began to pray that the Lord would change my heart and he began to put inside of me for real a love for the body of Christ and it's still a process and it's still growing and I see things and I hear things that trouble me sometimes but behind all of that I feel like the Lord's heart in his grace he's working in me how much he loves his church, and he reminds me what an absolute idiot and knucklehead that I was for so many years to help me to keep perspective on things and to not try to be so impatient and critical. I say all that as introduction to what I want to speak about today because I am concerned, I am troubled about things in the church at large, especially in the camp that we run in, Charismatic Pentecostal Church, but it really, across the spectrum, I wrote this statement down, and and I think it expresses what my concern is, and I just want to talk about this for a little bit today. I feel like in our Christian culture, with the celebrity culture, with the experience culture with the encounter culture and all that, which I love all of that. You see how we worship here. I can dance and twirl with the best of them. I've had experiences in my life where Jesus came so near to me that I thought I might die. And so I'm not diminishing that. But here's what I wrote. We sometimes value spiritual excitement more than we value spiritual maturity. Our view of Christianity is we're going to go to the meeting, we're going to feel the presence of God, we're going to worship, we're going to praise Him, we're going to feel His presence, we're going to get ministered to, people are going to prophesy perhaps, or, or, and, and all of that's beautiful, and all of that's scriptural, and all of that's powerful, and I don't diminish that at all. But that's not the end game. That's supposed to be a motivation to spur us on to go deeper into what Jesus actually has called us to be as his people. And the goal of us coming to Christ is that we would be, right? Romans eight twenty nine. anybody know it? God predestined us to what? Be conformed to the image of his son. And so there's a shaping that's happening in all of us where he's shaping us more and more like Jesus. How many have got lots of areas that aren't quite like Jesus yet? The rest of you are liars. Um, No, if you're honest, when you look in the mirror, you know, there's, there's just a lot of things that aren't quite conformed. And this is the process of coming to maturity. And so I want to look at what it means to chase after, to pursue spiritual maturity today. What does it look like? There's lots of things we could talk about, right? You could throw out words. What does spiritual maturity look like? You could say, "Well, it looks like love. It looks like walking in the fruit of the Spirit. It looks like keeping your if anybody can keep his tongue, the same as a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well." How are we doing? How are we do? How are we do with our tongue? Like that could use a. So we could talk about a whole myriad of things as far as what spiritual maturity might look like, but there's some bigger kind of pictures maybe that I've just been pondering from scripture. This is not exhaustive by any means, but I think that there's, these things are real and these things are things that we should constantly be moving towards as far as what spiritual maturity looks like. So Colossians chapter one is the first text and we're going to start reading in verse 24 of Colossians 1 I'm going to read down through verse 29 and then want to make some comments Paul says now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body which is the church in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. That's a pretty startling verse. And we can just say right up front that Paul's not saying that Christ's sacrifice was insufficient. What he's saying is that it takes sacrifice and suffering for the power of his sacrifice to get applied to human lives. And we all have a share in that. We'll talk about that as we move forward here. Of this church, verse 25, I was made a minister, a servant, a servant, according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. So, so notice what he's talking about here. He's going to reiterate that as we get down there. That is the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, verse 26, but has now been manifest to his saints. To whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him. Verse 28, admonishing every man, that word admonish means to warn, admonishing, warning every man, and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that here's the goal. So that we may present every man complete in Christ. Now, let's just pause a minute, if you allow me, to just get a little bit teachy here, because it's important to understand the word complete in the New American Standard and other translations is translated perfect, it's translated fully mature. And it's an interesting word because depending on what it's used or how it's used, it has slightly different nuances of meaning. In the Bible, the word perfect never means absolute, like we think I got 100 out of 100 on a test. That's not what it means. It means that things are brought to the place that God divinely ordained them to be. And what he's divinely ordained for his people to be is to be coming more and more conformed to the image of his son in every aspect of our lives. The reason that we know it's not an absolute is because three times in the book of Hebrews, this same word is applied to Jesus and said that he was perfected. Well, we know he wasn't imperfect ever. He was perfected by his sufferings. He was perfected by the sacrifice that he made. So the point is, Jesus was not able to fully come to the complete divine destiny that God created him for until he was sacrificed on the cross. That's the point. Not that he was imperfect in any way. We are, in a lot of ways. But when it speaks of perfection or completeness for us, it's talking essentially about being fully mature in Christ. That doesn't mean that we never sin. That doesn't mean that we still don't have flaws when we look in the mirror. It doesn't mean that our spouse couldn't tell a lot of things on us that we wouldn't want told. It just means that we are carrying the image of Jesus in greater measure. And it's becoming more and more solid and more and more obvious. That's what we're moving for. So Paul said, the goal of my preaching is that every person is going to come to maturity in Christ. That's why we're warning, that's why we're exhorting, that's why we're teaching is so that every person, we everybody that we find, we're going to take them from where they are now and we're going to bring them to maturity in Christ, a full maturity. Verse 29, for this purpose I labor, striving according to his power which mightily works within us. I want to make a few statements. The goal of ministry is maturity. That's the goal of it. It's not primarily for excitement. See, I want, I want to shoot and kill. Does that sound a little harsh? I want to stab and kill it! The culture of consumerism and of coming to just get entertained And then leave. Because it's not Christianity. It's not the purposes of God. And it doesn't further God's purposes when we view it that way. If we take the encounters that we have. And I'm not against that word. I I like that word. If we take those encounters and let them move us forward and say, there's more. There's more for me. Look, let's let the encounter deal with the areas in us of darkness and of weakness. Of pride. Of pride and of junk, and of fleshliness, right? Let's let those encounters shape us and trim off the things that are not Christ-like and bring us into the place of maturity in Christ. It's not absolute perfection, but it's maturity where the image of Jesus is not obscured so much by our own flesh. You see, God has a process and I've seen a natural example of this at the Rainforest Cafe in Kissimmee. Y'all know what I'm going to say. Some of you do. It's called a penny press. And you take a penny and you put that penny in and it's going to get destroyed, but you still have to pay another dollar to destroy it. So you put it in your four quarters. So you're paying to destroy your money So you put it in there, and whose face is on the penny? Abraham Lincoln. Good, you're smarter than a fifth grader. Praise God. Abraham Lincoln's picture's on the penny. You put it in the penny press, and what is that penny press? You start cranking it, and there's steel wheels in there, and they turn. And that penny goes up in there, and it goes between those steel wheels. And when you turn it, the penny, what happens to it? Gets smashed. It goes flat. What happens to Abe Lincoln's face? It gets really, it gets really flat. But you know what happens? It it basically disappears as that thing keeps getting cranked. But you didn't put your money in there just to get back a flat piece of copper. You wanted to have Goofy's image put on that. That's why you paid your dollar, and that's why you destroyed your coin. So, you keep cranking, and as you keep cranking, there's another wheel that has a die in it that stamps that piece of copper that's been smashed down flat, and it stamps the image of Goofy on that coin. And then you get that thing, and you keep cranking, cranking, and it finally comes out. And behold, you can barely see Lincoln. He's still there. Have you, have you guys ever done this? You can still see kind of a background outline, it's almost like a shadow of Lincoln, but he's been overstamped with a different image that's a pretty good picture of the process of christianity at least mine how many've ever been on the wheel the lord says here you you want to be shaped into my image i've got something for you come right over here put your dollar in let me see your penny i'm going to put it in here now now crank no harder crank, crank 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 harder faster And he has this process by which he takes us and he gets the image of us off of that which we don't want and he stamps the image of his son on there which we do want but yet there's a lot of squeezing and there is a cost in the process. That is the process that God shapes us by his word. That's why we need his word. The goal of preaching and teaching, the teaching is that stamp of the image of Christ that comes. How many have ever been encountered by the word of God and felt like you got a sucker punch? Oh, I've read things it's just sitting in my, at my desk and I just put my, hand, my face in my hands and I'm like, oh, jeez what are you going to do with me? That big nose is still sticking out. He goes, I've got something for you. Just keep coming. Let the power of my word, by the power of my spirit, continue to deal with you. Be authentically honest with what." is in you and what you have and what you are. This is key. This is so key for us in our process. We have to be honest. Our culture teaches us to be pretenders. Our culture teaches us to be just image people. But if we're living in such a way that we want people to believe things about us that are not true, we're living in delusion. Just come honest. The way that God likes it is just come honest. He likes Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house today. You are? Yeah. And as soon as Jesus comes in, his very presence convicts the man, but he's laughing about it. Lord, if I've done anybody wrong, I'll pay him back four times, and I'm giving half of my money away to the poor. And what did Jesus say? Salvation has come to this house today. There was such a shift of heart. Zacchaeus was transparent about his own brokenness and his own sin. And Jesus likes that. He can work with that. As part of maturity is daring to be authentically real about our own stuff and what we know and what we see in the mirror. I challenge you to take your stuff before the Lord. Can, can, can we just agree? <laughs> let's just lay this, all this image junk down. Let's just lay all that down. Let's lay all the social media image that's just a total farce. Let's lay all that down. Let's lay all the comparison down between somebody's good side and your good side. Like just, just, let's just lay all that down. And let's go before the Lord honestly and say, Jesus... What is it that you see that needs to get taken out? Sometimes he shows us what those things are in us. And I praise God for those times. I always tell myself, somebody said, You ought to tell more stories. I said, I've told every bit of dirt on myself in my whole life. Like, just the other Sunday, it was it last Sunday, babe? We're going up Edgewood in a car, and, and this flies all over me. I don't know why, but I'm asking the Lord when people come up real fast and tailgate me and then they're there and they're honking like as soon as I go, that flies all over me. And um, I don't like that when people get up in my face like that and I have that feeling. So I'm driving along and what do I do? i don't like it, idiot. I'm glad I didn't have a bumper sticker on the car. Pastor at Heart of the Father. <laughs> and huge idiot. So he's driving behind me his motorcycle right up on my bumper. And that aggravates me. And so, I didn't slam on brakes, but I hit the brakes very hard and he came up real close to me. This is how road rage happens. <laughs> Pastor in fistfight on street because of road rage. <laughs> okay, y'all laugh, but do you, do you have anything like that? Is there still pockets of flesh in you that need to be taken to the cross? So, so you know, I told my wife, I said, baby, I'm sorry for acting aggressive like that. That's, that's just flesh. It's just flesh. And I'm going to make this a project before the Lord. Like, we're, we're going to get rid of this by the grace of God. So I went into my study, and I wrote down, I think, six scriptures. Don't return evil for evil, but overcome evil with good. Never return insult for insult. Those kind of scriptures. You know why? Because I need that to work inside of my soul. Why is that spot in me gets triggered by that? I don't know. But it's ungodly. And Jesus is saying, it's okay. You are an idiot, but I will help you. I will help you. Just be honest, and I will help you. And we can work this thing out. But I could pretend, oh, no, I had every right. He was like, no, just just own it. You're you're an idiot. Just own it. It's the best thing to do. And Jesus is like, okay, I'm going to help you because I can deal with honesty. I can't deal with the image because all of that is deception and delusion and a lie. Just own what's that stuff that's in you and let the process continue and work it out and get back in the wheel. See, the scripture is like that wheel. It points out where we lack and he's very happy to help us to change. Notice, Paul says for this purpose in verse 29, I labor, striving according to his power which mightily works within me. The process of maturity in other people takes effort. It's all by grace, and it's all by the presence of God, but God's grace isn't magic. He requires us to partner with him. Therefore, Paul uses this word striving, which the Greek word is agonizomai. Do you get any uh, idea what that means? Agonizomai. So, it's agonizing. It's hard. It's a struggle. It's used for wrestling. It's really, sometimes it's really hard. That's part of the process of growing in maturity. Paul uses that word actually many times talking about his ministry. It's a struggle and it's hard, but God's grace is sufficient. So we need to own the athletic metaphor for wrestling. We need to own that. Let me read you out of 1 Timothy chapter 7, I'm sorry, out of chapter 4, verses 7 through 10, and then verse 15. 1 Timothy 4. Paul talking to his protege, his son and the Lord, Timothy. But have nothing to do with worldly fables, fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. What would that look like? Godliness, I would submit to you, is a synonym for Christlikeness, is a synonym for spiritual maturity. So discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. So that means there's a part that we play, right? It's all by grace, right? Can we all own that every good thing that's happened in us has come because God's worked it in us? Can we all own that? And a lot of things when we didn't even try to get free from it, he freed us from it, like Brandon was talking about this morning. That's totally my story. All kinds of addictions and and junk where he just broke them off of me. But the more knowledge that we have, the more he requires our participation in the process. He goes, I've got abundant grace for you, but you're going to have to hook your wagon to it. And in in doing that, that means there's going to be some effort on your part to get into my presence and to connect with me in my word, to connect with me in prayer, to do the things that the old timers used to call the means of grace. Grace. Those are connection points to God's grace in our life. How many don't like to hear about discipline? How many don't like to hear about struggle? How many don't like to hear about struggle? I I, I get it. We don't like to hear about that. But this is real and it's part of our own journey in our sanctification. So verse 7, have nothing to do with worldly fables. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit. Sorry, Matt. But godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds a promise for the present life and also for the one to come. It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For it is, notice, it is for this that we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in your speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example of those who believe. And then look down at verse 15. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress may be evident to all. So question, if we don't put forth any effort, any labor, any pains, will spiritual maturity just automatically happen It won't. If the goal that we're shooting for is to be mature in Christ, then it's going to take some effort to connect with his grace. Would you all agree with that? Okay. I'm going back to Colossians chapter 1. And I want to talk about and just point out to you some pictures of characteristics of those who are spiritually mature. These are convicting to me. I don't look in the mirror and go, oh, you're a spiritual giant. Oh, you're so spiritually mature. I don't do that because I know myself. I see my lack. We all see our lack. Here's, here's, here's goals to shoot for on the target. What, what are some characteristics of spiritual maturity? I wanna go back to verse 24 of Colossians 1. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of your body, which is the church, and filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. And then in verse 29, for this purpose I also labor, striving according to his power, which works mightily within me. So the first characteristic that I want to bring out as far as what spiritual maturity looks like is that spiritually mature people are burden bearers. We sacrifice for the sake of other people. We bear their burdens. We're not primarily just about pleasing ourselves. And there's a verse in Romans 15:1 you might recall that says, we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those who don't have strength and not just please ourselves. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to bear the burdens. Galatians 6 verse two says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so those who are mature are the ones who bear the burdens of other members of the body who are weak, who are suffering, who are struggling to come along. We help to bear their burdens. So the question is, here's here's a question that we can ask, that I ask myself. Do we pour out? more than we consume in the kingdom of God? Do we give more than we take? Are we primarily givers who are putting in supply to help others or are we primarily consumers coming to get blessed ourselves? Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to point out a few other characteristics that I think exemplify spiritual maturity. Philippians 3, this passage is amazing to me, has rocked me so many times in my life. I'm not going to read through the whole thing I want to, but I'm I'm going to start at verse 10. That I may know him. I, I marvel at this every time I read it, when somebody of the stature of the Apostle Paul, who had been to the third heaven, heard things uttered to him that, It was unlawful for him to say, started churches all over Europe and Asia, raised the dead, healed the sick, started churches everywhere, led them, nurtured them, was persecuted probably more than anybody um, possibly ever in in the history of the church as far as his whole lifespan. His resume is, is incredible. For him to say at the end of his life, three years before he was martyred, I just want to know you. Jesus, I, I just want to know you, is an incredible statement. And so I'm, I'm really slow to say, I know the Lord. I, I know parts, I know pieces. I've had some insights. But can I tell you, it's the unsearchable riches of Christ. There is no bottom. You can know all the doctrines. You can hear, you can hang around. You can hear sermons by the thousands. You can go to YouTube and hear it spit at you all day long and all night long. But knowing Christ is an experience of him that actually shapes and controls us. That's what Paul demonstrated. It's like the ultimate addiction. I don't. I say that reverently in a holy way. Because it controls our life. I remember going to the house of a lady one time. With another brother, we went there. She was a heroin addict. She lost her family. All she did was shoot up when she could get the money, would sell herself to get the money to to shoot up. Lost her husband, lost her kids. I knew their whole family. And when we came in there, she said, "Do, do you know what my day looks like? She goes, when I wake up in the morning all I think about is that white powder and how I can get it. That's all I think about. And after I get some, and after I shoot up, I'm immediately thinking about, oh no, what am I going to do to get my next fix? And then I do what I have to do, and I get the next one. I shoot up, and I said to myself, what am I going to do tonight? I've got to have more of that what how am i going to get it she said this is my life every day and i was like oh wow that's a powerful addiction and can i say in a holy way that knowing jesus like you 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 can't just hear about him and have a little encounter with him here and there like It begins to take over your life and your soul. And it's what you think about. It's what you long for. It's what you hunger for. I like A.W. Tozer's definition of what our treasure is. You you want to hear the four-question test of A.W. Tozer? All right. For for the two of you, I will give it. (laughs) Our treasure may be discovered in this fourfold test, is what Tozer says. It is what we value most. It is what we would hate most to lose. It is what our thoughts turn to most frequently when we are free to think about whatever we want. And it is what gives us the greatest pleasure in our lives. That's our treasure. I want to tell you that part of spiritual maturity you know, I've heard this, this, this kind of dichotomy my whole life that when you're young and you're full of zeal and you're full of fire and then when you get older, you, you just mellow out and then you have wisdom but not zeal. I don't believe that. No, you're backslid. No, you haven't seen the face of the Son of God recently. No, it's all become an intellectual thing. It's not the passion of the living Son of God. Is that okay because listen to Paul dude he had more encounters than all of us put together in this room times 10 at the end of his life he's saying with all of his accomplishments with everything that he'd done can you imagine being caught up in the third heaven and God Telling you these things, and you're about to blow up. And he goes, You can't tell that. I've got to know him and be conformed to his image. Even if it means the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. yet that's part of it. I want every part of him. And so the way that Jesus hurts and feels for those that are broken, I want to feel that same pain. I want it to hurt me. Because I want to be so closely identified with him that everything about him shapes everything about me. No, he knew the scripture. He was a Pharisee. He wrote half the New Testament. Come on. There was a reality of Jesus that was like the white powder spiritually to that lady. It's like, I can't live with the little bit of knowledge that I have of Jesus. It's not okay. Verse 12, not that I've already obtained it. I've already become perfect. There's that same word. From a tour in Colossians 1. But I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. There's something that Jesus, when he snatched us to himself, and my story is kind of like yours, Brandon. Like I was just an idiot going around chasing the flesh and my own pleasure and my own lust and all of the kinds of stuff that fools do. And Jesus just said, You're mine. had no idea what was going on. Never heard the gospel. Never went to church in any meaningful way. Didn't know anything. He said, you're mine. And he began to change me and to reveal himself to me. And things on the inside began to shift, praise God. But he took hold of me with a purpose in mind, just like he did for you. When he captured you and he drew you to himself, There's divine purpose on your life that he had already planned out. He's already prepared all the good works for you to walk in before you were even saved, right? So there's a whole line of things that he's got for you. You don't know what they are until you just happen to stumble on those. How many know what divine appointments are? Yeah, but there's bigger ones like that where your whole life gets shaped because he plucked you out for a purpose and a destiny that he has for you. Just like he did for me. Not that I've already obtained it. I've already become perfect or fully mature. But I press. Notice this, this, word is, this phrase is used twice. Verse 12 and verse 14. This is his heart. This is his passion. I've already accomplished everything. I've already written most all of the books of the New Testament that I'm going to write. I've already had the third heaven encounter. I've already raised a boy from the dead who fell out two stories when I was preaching so long. Y'all, I don't preach long at all. Raise him up so he brought him back upstairs so he could finish his message no you're not going to fall asleep on me get up here boom yes. I press so that I may lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold by Christ Jesus his purposes in me have to be fulfilled this isn't about me this isn't about you can I tell you that your Christianity is not about you It's about someone much greater than you. And the sooner that we get that realization that it's really about him. It's about his purposes for us. It's about what he wants to do in us and to us and through us. And how he wants to shine through us, his character and his life. He wants us to be like light bulbs that he holds on to. And we just glow. People go, what's that glow? Well, it's not me. I'm just a stinking light bulb. It's the hand that's holding me. We're like a glove. And he's the hand. This, this, how should I say it? This amuses me. When in our celebrity culture, people want to go up and they want to get their picture taken with the man of God. And I have this picture in my head. For real? You want to get a selfie with a glove? Because it's the hand that does all the work. A good glove just says, do whatever you want. Move your fingers however you want. But tell me where the power comes from. Tell me where the grace comes from. It comes from the hand. Jesus is the hand. We're just the glove. You don't sit there and exalt the glove. Oh, we're the church of the first gloves. That's just foolhardy. And from heaven's sight, we're idiots when we do that. From heaven's sight, we're foolish. They're gazing on the Lamb of God and going, Y'all are down there obsessed with gloves. What is wrong with you? That's just human flesh. And whatever good thing is inside of them has been given by the living God for his own purposes and glory. We worship a glove? It's ridiculous. Paul said to the Corinthians, Y'all love to boast in men. Y'all have all the big speakers come through there. Paulos, Paul, Peter. But you're just carnal in your babies because y'all are gathered around a circle talking about which glove is better. Why don't you talk about the hand? (laughs) Sorry, y'all. I press that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I have a lot of things in my life and even in my Christian life that if I sat and pondered on them, I would regret them and I feel embarrassed by. I've already repented of them. I know he's already forgiven me of them and I'm going to learn from them, but I'm not going to get stuck back there. I'm not going to get stuck back there. I'm not going to get stuck in all the good things. I'm not going to get stuck when people go, oh, you're so awesome. And I go, compared to what? What? We're not awesome, Jesus is awesome. Heaven doesn't sit around even sing of the angels, oh those angels are so amazing, I saw an angel. They're all up there, they're singing one song about one man because his presence is so weighty and so captivating, it sucks all the air out of the room. It's like a black hole. Every bit of light is sucked into it. That's who Jesus is. That's who Paul saw Jesus as. And that's how Paul lived his life. He didn't get caught up with the trinkets of this world. Delighting in the things of the flesh. And of his own passions and desires. He didn't get caught up in that. Because there was such a greater reality. That he saw. And it motivated him. To press. I'm going to keep moving. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Notice verse 15. Let us therefore as many as are perfect. It's the same Greek word as complete, as mature. It's the same word. Let as many of us as are mature believers. This is how you tell whether you're mature or not. You actually have a divine obsession with the person of Jesus. And you keep pressing and letting go of everything else that's a distraction and pressing with all your heart and soul towards him. That's part of what maturity is. Let as many of us as are mature have this attitude. And if anything different, you have a different attitude. God will reveal that also. So here's here's two more attributes of Spiritual maturity. Second one, we're relentless pursuers of Jesus. The third one is in the same passage. And here it is. We have a razor sharp focus on eternal values. We're easily enamored by the toys in this life. And they're all going to burn, every one of them. Even in my life, I see all the IT stuff. I've been through all the series of phones. Some of you younger ones, you just have iPhones. Like You don't know what it was like. <clears throat> my first phone was a mobile phone, mobile to mobile, because the regular cell phone, and it was like this big, like a suitcase. I was thinking, put it in my truck. And I had to make space for it on the seat. It was so big, it weighed like 30 pounds. And you have to call, uh, this mobile, to mobile. Is this, this, this mobile mobile, mobile operator? Yeah, can you connect me to this number? I, it really was like that. But you know where all of that stuff is? It's been recycled. It's in the junkyard. You know, you know all the cars that I've owned in my life that I still don't drive? Which I'm a keeper. All the technology that I've had, it's all, it's all scrap. It's all junk. Try selling your TV that you bought five years ago for half the price you paid for it. No, it's junk. We had some big screen TVs up here that we had backstage, right? Big ones, I remember when those came out. I'm like, that's awesome, look how big that is. And Richard goes, I go, Richard, can we sell this? He goes, it's really not worth it. Maybe it's worth 20 bucks, it's not. But we probably paid 2,000 for it, you know? Everything in this world disintegrates. It's temporal. And for us to set our desire and our delight, look, idolatry is this. Our God is what we identify with. He creates our identity. And it's what we delight in. And it's what we sacrifice for. And it's what is the core of our pursuit. That's what our God is. And so we have to ask ourselves, do I have gods other than the true and living God? that I'm pursuing in materialism. Y'all, we have to guard our hearts in this country that we live in. The affluence that we live in is a blessing, but it's also a curse. And so we have to be very careful with how we deal and we have to let things go quickly and easily. So we're relentless pursuers. We have a razor sharp focus on eternal values. And then look at verse 17. Brethren, Join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern that you have in us. How does that feel? You know what spiritual maturity is when when he brings us to that place is that our life is actually a model and a pattern for other people to emulate. Is that you? Is that me? My, my answer is on some things. But I've got to keep moving, pressing. Chapter 4, verse 9 of Philippians is so powerful. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Listen to this. What an audacious statement. The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Would you tell somebody that about your life? Hey, if you just follow in the way that I walk and live and the things that you've seen in me and heard from me, if you do that, the God of peace is going to be with you. Like there's going to be an overshadowing of Shekinah of the presence of the Lord if you follow my example. Paul says that multiple times in the scripture. And he's not an arrogant man. He's just telling the truth. Jesus, listen, Jesus' destiny, his heart for you and for me is to be that kind of person that other people can actually look to and see a physical representation and ask themselves, I wonder what Toby would do in this situation. That's real, absolutely real. He wants us to come to that place. And so we have to renounce the hidden things that lurk in darkness. Like every trinket that we hold on of this world and of the flesh is just an anchor in our process of moving forward into maturity in Christ. Everything else that we hold on to, everything else that we delight in, everything else that becomes part of our identity, we have to release that in order to press towards the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And I want to close with Hebrews chapter 5. Y'all still doing okay? Like it's it's only seven minutes after 12. Is everybody okay? Think about the striving. Think about the suffering. Okay, this isn't, this isn't hard. I want, to, I want to bring this out because this is so important. Here's the thing that keeps us from moving forward in maturity. The word of God is, is the fuel that changes us. And that conforms us to his image. And what we do with the word, like we said in Colossians 1, determines on whether we become mature or not. If we just become hearers and we don't internalize, get marked by that word and it shape and change the way that we behave, we're not only hypocrites, but we're actually hindering the whole process and we short-circuit the process of... Maturity. So I'm going to read these three verses, make a few comments and put out a couple of really weighty quotes because I want somebody else to say what I really want to say, but I want them to take the heat for it. So Hebrews five verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. So what's he saying? You've been walking with Jesus long enough. You should be mature at this time and you should be able to be that kind of example where you can actually instruct others and they can look at your life to get guidance. You should be there, but you're not. You're still, we still have to part the gray whiskers to get the bottle in. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. See, he's talking about the word of righteousness. He's talking about the word. For he is an infant, but solid food is for the mature. Now, catch this in verse 14. There's just a profound truth here, profound. Solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. It says so profound. Because of practice and discernment, they learn what's worthless, what is evil, and what is actually good. I want to read you. A quote from John Piper, and I want to read you one from a New Testament, leading New Testament scholar about that passage. Hebrews 5.14. What this verse is saying is that if you want to become mature and understand and appreciate the more solid teachings of the word, then there must be a transformation of your spiritual mind and senses so that you can discern between good and evil. Grasping the things of God is not first an intellectual challenge, but a moral one. The startling truth is that if you stumble over understanding the truths of Scripture, it may be because you watch questionable entertainment, or because you still use some shady business practices, or because you love money and spend too much and give too little. The pathway to maturity and to solid biblical food is not first becoming an intelligent person, but becoming an obedient person. What you do with alcohol and sex and money and leisure and food and computers and the way you treat other people has more to do with your capacity for spiritual maturity than where you go to school and what books you read. Here's a leading New Testament scholar, Thomas Schreiner. On this passage, spiritual maturity, the author teaches, doesn't depend fundamentally on intellectual ability. You'll see the overlap to grasp theological truths. The readers were spiritual infants because they weren't putting into practice what they had learned. The readers, because of their infancy, are slipping towards apostasy. Those who are spiritual infants can't remain where they are. They will either go forward or fall away and be destroyed forever. Here's here's the context, okay? We're going to close with this. That's just profound. Because they'd heard and heard and heard, but they didn't apply it to their life. They just wanted to come and get, man, that preacher was good. Man, that sermon was good. Man, that was exciting. Wasn't that? Nothing wrong with that as long as it motivates you toward maturity. Here's the context. This is Hebrews chapter 5. you know what the next chapter is in Hebrews, right? Chapter 6. It has the harshest, the sternest, and the most sobering warning given to believers. In, in my view, in all scripture, you can have been enlightened. You can have tasted the good word of God. You can have tasted the powers of the age to come, spiritual gifts, and the Holy Spirit moving, and all those other things. But if you then turn away, there's no more. Renewal for repentance. Like it's super sobering. Here's the point. They weren't prepared for the trial that they were in. The persecution. It was hard. But they would have been prepared had they have dealt with the scripture rightly. Instead of coming to hear and be entertained and to be touched and to be tickled by it, if they had been applying that and that had been shaping their life, they would have been prepared for the trial that they were in now, which was just about to cause them to lose their soul. They were wavering whether to turn away from Jesus or not. And he's saying, look, the reason is when you heard the word, you didn't treat it right. You just treated it as a form of spiritual entertainment. Instead of as a word of spiritual formation and shaping that was at the core of your being. So for us, we can put ourselves in a position where we don't know what's coming next, right? This last month, I preached three funerals. You don't know what's coming next. For us to be prepared, the word has to be doing its work in us, because we're not just being hearers, right? James 1: 122. "Don't be hearers only. Be doers of the word. Because if you're just hearers, you what? You deceive yourself. Why are you deceiving yourself? Because you're telling yourself, oh, I'm hearing the word. I'm just really into the word. I'm doing it. But he says, if you don't do it, if you don't apply it, if you don't internalize it, if it doesn't begin to shape your heart and soul, you're deceiving yourself. You're pretending, oh, I'm good. I'm just this passionate guy about the word. No, if it's not shaping us, that's what mature people do. And that's how immature people get mature is that they take the word that they hear and they apply it to their life and they take time to sit down and go, oh, that hurt. Oh, that stabbed me. Oh, that revealed in me this lack. So Lord, let's apply this word to my life. And we make it a project with God to get after those things that he's revealing to us instead of just smoothing it over and looking for the next spiritually exciting experience that we can have. Again, y'all hear my heart. I'm not throwing down on that. Those experiences are powerful and valid, but they're for a purpose. They're not an end in themselves. And they don't define us as mature believers because we had encounters or somebody prophesied over us or we prophesied over them. That doesn't define us as mature Being obedient to the scripture and being under the lordship of Jesus and doing what he says and letting his word shape us and mark us is what makes us mature. Let's go for that. Let's go for that. Let's take the word of God as seriously as God takes it. It is the means of us coming to maturity. And I am concerned, honestly, that there's an overemphasis on experience that's, it's everywhere in our culture and an under emphasis on transformation let's push on let's press on let's be mature believers bow your heads with me we're going to pray together Father thank you for your holy word and for your holy spirit Lord, I pray that out of this place, I include myself in this prayer. I want to be a mature man of God who walks before you all in, all my chips in, holding nothing back, nothing in a secret hidden pocket, everything on the table. I want to walk with you like that. Would you help us as your people to deal rightly with your word, to press towards the mark of the high calling of God in Christ. You've called us to be fully mature people in you. Lord, some of us have been walking with you for so long and there's still a lot of gaps. I pray that you would help us by your grace to make up those gaps and that you would teach us not to be hearers only, not to be those who are seeking after a spiritual, stimulating experience only, but that we would be moving as disciples into maturity to where you can count on us and the things that you've done inside of us are so solid that come whatever may, it's not going to knock us off of our feet. We're going to keep walking and keep trusting and keep looking with our focus on you. Let it be so, Lord. Make us into mature men and women of God in this place that we will be reliable for you and that you would use us and the transformation that you've done in us to transform those around us. I pray in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Bless you all. Love you. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to join us on a Sunday morning or other weekly gathering, know that you're more than welcome. And if you'd like other resources on or about this ministry, Or for any deeper questions you may have, be sure to visit our website at hotfmlakeland.com.